Welcome back to Funding the Future of Healthcare, a podcast that dives into healthcare technology and the process that allows it to scale and thrive, which is a discussion that comes with heightened importance as we continue to ride out this pandemic and look for ways to bring quality care to more people more efficiently and most importantly, safely. I'm Pat McKay and I have two guests joining me right this very moment. Aaron Martin from Providence Ventures and Graham Gardner from Kairos. Thank you both for coming on the program. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Graham, you're the co-founder and CEO of Kairos, where you oversee the company's market-leading patient access platform, serving over 275,000 providers and 600 hospitals. Prior to Kairos, you were a venture executive at Highland Capital Partners, where you co-founded Generation Health and served as that company's chief medical officer through its acquisition by CVS Caremark. You completed your clinical training in internal medicine and cardiology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical School, where you also served as chief medical resident. You completed your BA and MD degrees at Brown University and earned an MBA from Harvard Business School. You currently serve as an advisor to Sigma Surgical Sensory Cloud and the Innovation and Digital Health Accelerator at Boston Children's Hospital. I hope I got all that right. Um, quite a resume, Graham. Better than my mom could do. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so, Graham, uh, Kairos was on this uh, on this exact podcast uh, uh, a few years ago. Um, we talked back then about the difficulties that existed in aligning the needs of patients with uh, physicians and solving what your company called at that time the patient access paradox. And we, you know, we discussed how this problem led to your provider match platform, which is a data management solution that works on essentially three levels. It provides more efficient scheduling and search solutions for access center agents. It allows consumers to find the right care options and book appointments online. And it also gives providers better visibility into their networks to drive better care coordination and patient retention, things like that. I'm, I'm simplifying quite a bit, but we did talk about all that in some detail. And we also talked about the book Moneyball, um, which I know you're a fan of. I've only ever seen the movie uh, many times. It's a fantastic movie, and, and it just really is a lovely view on on the power of analytics. And 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 you know, and that's been such a long time since that's even come out, and and so much has evolved since then. But all that discussion, uh, of course, came before COVID. So, Graham, what I just would would love for you to do is just kind of catch us up on what's been going on with with Kairos since uh, since 2018. Yeah, no, happy to. And and uh, it's, it's funny you bring up. Moneyball, um, uh, it is a wonderful movie, but but even more so um, for me, it, it really uh, reflects the worldview that I was raised with, um, that, you know, we're all different. We're all beautiful in our own way. We all have our um, strengths and weaknesses. And, and it's an approach we brought both to building our, our internal team culture, but, but obviously has really informed how we think about the product and this idea that, you know, physicians uh, and, and providers more broadly, a lot like baseball players, each have their unique strengths and weaknesses. And, and if we can really use data to understand their unique competencies, we can put them up to bat situations where they're more likely to do well. And, and in this case, the patient really benefits by by being matched um, to the to the right provider. Um, so what's been so exciting for me, uh, Pat, is just seeing that that worldview um, uh, adopted, you know, by so many uh, health systems as they've thought about how they can better provide access um, to their care and. Um, you know, as our, as our mission states, to, to enable their human beings, their their um, their providers, to care for other human beings um, uh, by by playing uh, to those strengths. Um, so, you know, the last several years, we've been incredibly fortunate to partner, you know, with dozens and dozens of more health systems. Uh, we're actually now in, we have three hundred thousand providers that we're serving across six hundred and fifty hospitals, and just continue to to build out um, that that catalog um, uh, and 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 learn a lot about how to best route patients uh, to the right uh, destination for them. Um, I think the other major uh, initiative over the last couple of years has been um, thinking a lot about the digital stack. And, and, and I really credit Aaron here um, with, with beginning to, to, to put um, uh, that, that, that concept uh, together. You know, if you're, if you're managing a, a modern healthcare system now, there, there really are a range of technologies that you need to integrate in order to best serve the patient. One of those uh, is the, obviously the underlying EMR system that holds so much of the clinical data, but also all the, the inventory, right, of, of all the providers and, and when they're available. Uh, we believe, you know, we have an important role to play uh, around that interoperability, that routing and scheduling and the access to, to that uh, inventory. 
but that also needs to integrate in with CRM and with telemedicine and ratings and reviews and digital front door technologies as well. And um, Aaron really has, has coached us um, uh, to, to build a lot of business development partnerships with key players uh, across those, those industries. So the likes of Salesforce and Microsoft Dynamics and companies like American Well and the telemedicine space. And so a lot of the work that we have been doing um, uh, is developing uh, both product integrations as well as go-to-market strategies um, with those organizations so that we could really um, play well in the sandbox, if you will, as, as organizations were, were thinking about that, that uh, digital sandbox. And so um, when COVID hit, I, in, in many ways, um, we were uh, in a terrific position to, to help support uh, organizations in, in a couple of ways. Um, one was just beginning to, to help them understand how to triage um, uh, across their organizations. And, um, uh, you know, it was, it was fascinating to see how you know, pre-COVID cough uh, might be going to see a pulmonologist at the organization, but within days of COVID hitting, all of that now needed to be routing to a nurse line that could, you know, help to do some basic triage in, in the setting of, of this pandemic. Um, a few days later, they'd realized, hey, some of this is really appropriate for telemedicine. So can we actually begin to hook up and, and engage American Well or other telemedicine providers to, to help us support uh, the demand? And then maybe by the end of the week, it was actually going to a testing tent at Walgreens. And so the, the ability um, for us to help uh, at that term level uh, help the organization route their patients across these different settings um, because we had all those integrations uh, was was really uh, gratifying to be able to, to do that. That's great. And I'm glad you 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 kind of got to COVID there because that sort of leads into my next question. I wanted to I want to just dig into that a little bit. You're talking about being in a very fortunate position to help out when COVID came along. Now, Graham, there have been a variety of business reactions to this pandemic. But it seems a lot of companies were either a, a version of, of, of say, a, a, either a tortoise or a hare. You know, some companies were able to put their foot on the gas and go, and others really had to slow way down and, and just even kind of hunker, you know, to complete the metaphor inside their own shell just to kind of survive. Um, you know, it sounds like Kairos was kind of leaning one way, but I, but I, but I'd love to just kind of hear from you. Do you did you feel like you're more of the, the tortoise or the hare in 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 the in this in the when the pandemic hit? No, I, th I think that's exactly right. There 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 have to be a, a range of different reactions based on on uh, the company and the specific circumstances. Um, I think like everybody, you know, we called an emergency board meeting in March to say what is going on and and what do we think is is going to happen. And um, you know, we we had been fortunate in a couple of ways. I, I certainly uh, won't pretend that I predicted the pandemic, but you know, we had been in a good market for a long time. And at some point I wondered whether that was going to end. And so in the fall, we had actually raised $40 million of capital just to have that in place to, to continue to fund, you know, our growth. And so again, we're super fortunate to have that. And so, uh, you know, in that board meeting, I, I modeled out a number of different scenarios and it was quite clear that even if the industry really turtled up and we were just not able to, to get in engaging meaningful conversations, book and, and grow the revenue the way we wanted to, we, we were going to be okay. We were going to be able to, you know, last for, for years uh, and, and, and write it out. Um, that said, um, I also knew um, that, that uh, we could be an important part of, of helping organizations through this. And you know, the other really interesting uh, thing we had access to uh, early on was we could see the searches across the country. So we were, you know, we see hundreds of thousands of searches every week. And I'll tell you, even at the peak of the pandemic, only about 10% of the searches were actually for COVID related terms. Cancer, pregnancy, I mean, we could tell there still was this incredible pent up demand for routine care. And so, you know, as we as we thought about this, um, what we began to, to guesstimate was that, yes, there was going to be this, you know, onslaught early on, people are going to get paralyzed and shut down. But there may very well likely be this summer respite where organizations were going to have to open back up again and try to get, you know, the diabetic patients in and, and again, hopefully get a, a little bit of a, a, a moment to breathe. And that we could be an essential part again of routing and, and helping an organization not only route COVID, but now suddenly reopen to non-COVID uh, cases again. And so it was important for me that, that we try to make an effort to, to continue to, to grow. Um, the other part, and I'm sure we'll get into this a, a little bit later, but we had already begun at that point, um, uh, our thoughts around expanding into the payer industry. Uh, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, but uh, we thought that was going to be essential part of, of really helping uh, uh, also organizations, you know, uh, improve their ability to, to engage and acquire patients. And while we had enough money to, to survive a pandemic, um, uh, we really wanted to accelerate to the pandemic and, and continue to invest uh, aggressively in that. 
Um, we had been fortunate uh, in the fall to get to know uh, the team at, at uh, Francisco Partners, uh, Ezra Perlman there as well, and um, uh, had un been unable to bring them into the, the syndicate uh, in the fall, but at this point reached back out to Ezra and said, hey, do you remain interested in our thesis? Uh, he was. Uh, and so we actually closed an additional $30 million of capital at that point. So again, we could really continue to grow um, through the, the coming months. Thank you, Graham. We'll get into more of that here in a sec. I'd like to turn now to Aaron Martin. Aaron, you've been on this podcast many times. You're the Executive Vice President and Chief Digital Officer for Providence St. Joseph Health, a $24 billion healthcare system. You're also the Managing General Partner of Providence Ventures, which is a $300 million venture capital fund created on behalf of Providence. To date, your team has invested in 18 different innovative technologies, all now helping Providence improve health outcomes for people while navigating an incredibly tricky current healthcare environment. Thanks for being with us again, Aaron. Yeah, my pleasure. Aaron, because Providence Ventures works with so many different innovation companies, I would guess your response to the pandemic has been a little bit more uh, complicated. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> Were there different reactions to the pandemic from inside your your own partner portfolio? Yeah, I mean, so so there are two kind of responses that you know my team had to make because I've got you know an operational responsibility as the chief digital officer, and then obviously we're also kind of managing our portfolio. On the operational side, we we're really really fortunate that we had made investments like in in Kairos, for instance and technologies so that we're well positioned to, frankly, not even pivot, but just to kind of make some adjustments to kind of address COVID. Um, and so we did everything from, you know, the, the, the story I always tell is, you know, about two or three years ago, we started consolidating our websites, which seems like a small thing. It mattered a lot during COVID because we were able to very, very scalably com communicate with consumers. Two years prior to COVID, we started working on a, an AI bot called Grace, and we enhanced it with some Microsoft technology during COVID that allowed us to do, you know, to, to help um, patients self-assess. And it's, you know, and, and what it did, what that did is, is it prevented patients from, you know, who are sick or patients who are well from both showing up at the clinic when we had no PPE as early on into the pandemic and, you know, slow down kind of infection rates, if you will, um, you know, about the, you know, from the worried well. And then, you know, the other thing that we did is we deployed a, a technology that we've had for years that we've been working on called DexCare that allows us to do video visits, right? And that allowed us to, you know, scalably, um, you know, address people who were, who, who, who were symptomatic and went through the chat bot and seemed to be like, you know, okay, this person may actually have COVID because again, we didn't have any testing back then um, to be seen by a nurse practitioner at scale over video. And then lastly, um, we also used uh, two technologies in our portfolio, uh, Twistle and Zelf, that allowed us to monitor at home the patients that we were suspected to have COVID, but were not sick enough to be to be admitted into the hospital, right? And so we could do that at scale. And so we were we were monitoring, I think, you know, for one, you know, ICU nurse in a central location, we we're monitoring hundreds of patients and able to just basically check in with them three times a day with a pulse ox and and uh, and, and temperature, you know, three time readings three times a day. And if they started to decompensate, we could reach out to them and video visit and, and admit them. Um, but all these technologies we had deployed at scale, you know, in, including Kairos, you know, and, um, and and it was really just kind of reconfiguring them to kind of do the, the COVID response. If the thing I always say is if, COVID had happened probably three years earlier, we would have been in a much different scenario. Um, you know, it, you know, we wouldn't have been able to kind of scale the response. Um, going on to your question about the portfolio, um, as you know, we're, in, we're happy investors and customers in, in Kairos and as what, what Graham can tell you is, um, I, so I, I am the son of a economist and one of the bad, you know, economist jokes is, you know, Economists have called five of the last three recessions, right? So we always tend to like, you know, um, you know, kind of overcompensate on doom and gloom. And I think, you know, Graham can attest to this. I think I, I called a bear market three times in a row and was wrong. Even this time, I will note, during a pandemic. So like, you know, a freaking pandemic hit and we still are up in the stock market. So I'm still wrong. 
But anyway, so one of the things that uh, that that we were talking about last year, fortunately, though, was similar to what Graham was saying is, is like we're at the end of a very long bull market. Um, you know, financing could tighten up. You know, you guys need to kind of, you know, shore up the balance sheets. And for us, um, at that point, we had 18, you know, active portfolio companies. Um, we only had one that I think was, you know, kind of not well-funded through kind of 18 to 24 months. Um, everybody else had, you know, like what, you know, all, all the rest of our CEOs had had raised money um, in 2019 and were, you know, kind of well-situated from a, from a runway standpoint. And I, I used to be an entrepreneur, you know, back in my youth. And um, the story I always tell is like my first venture, um, you know, we started it in 98 and we sold it in 2001. And we were able to exit a pretty decent exit. Um, and frankly, we didn't have the, the, the best technology. Um, but what, but it was about, we were around, that's what kind of like, you know, helped, you know, so we had, um, I think we started off with five major kind of SaaS competitors in a, in the FinTech space that we we're competing in. And, you know, the 2000, the nine 11 attacks took out three of them. Right. And so we were one of two, two left standing. So, you know, I don't know who, who, who to quote around this, but, you know, sometimes, you know, winning is just being around. Right. Um, and so, so I think that was kind of the the general advice we gave to our our portfolio uh, companies, and and it and it paid off. I mean, so um, you know, and, and it's interesting. The other last thing I'll say is, to Graham's point, they took very different approaches. So, like we invest in medical device companies, and they just basically said, "Look, there is literally nothing we can do. We need to get into hibernation mode until the market reopens." And we'll be fine. And that turned out to be true. Um, but, you know, there's nothing you can do if you can't go detail physicians or tell them about, you know, because they're either they can't see you or they're dealing with COVID. And then we had a bunch of SaaS companies like um, like Kairos, who, you know, were, you know, we're like, we're going to step on the gas because, you know, these these health systems need. And then we had one interesting example I always like to you know brag on, which is um, Gal Surgical, the CEO there. His name is Sid. And if you've ever met Sid, um, Sid has a hard time not doing things. He is very, very kind of active, and um, he basically has a medical device company. It's a it's a it's a SaaS software platform, but it's FDA cleared and it's used in OR theaters for elective surgeries and things like that. And so, obviously, he had to put his 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 company in hibernation mode. So what they did. In addition to that is they also created a really compelling COVID home antigen test using their technology. And that, and then during the, uh, the entire um, COVID process, they raised an additional $10 million just to fund that product. And it's, it's going through FDA clearance right now. So, so, you know, that's a, like a weird example where you, you probably should have turtled, but he kind of, um, he, he, you know, him, him being said, he figured out another totally, it uses the same technology, core technology, but for a totally different use case. It's amazing. I mean, I don't even know what to call that. You know, it's I guess it's a pivot, but you're gonna come back to what you've been doing all along. But now you've got this whole this whole new line, this this new innovation that's that's taken off. You have wound up getting all these kind of different insights from all these different companies. Um, and then so Aaron, Providence actually published a COVID-19 digital insights report series late this last year. Um, and the reports are the result of, you know, over a hundred primary research interviews with health system technology and innovation leaders from within Providence and, and also across the healthcare industry. Uh, it's pretty extensive. I took, I took a peek, I obviously didn't read all of it, but uh, there are a lot of reports in that series. Can you boil down a couple of, of key insights, uh, from those for us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to give you some context, so this is an exercise we go through that my team, you know, a lot of my team comes from Amazon and we're, they're famous for the six pagers, right? And so we don't do anything without kind of writing six pagers around, you know, my team, especially strategic work. Um, and every year we go through a refresh of like, you know, kind of the, you know, one to five year plans. Um, and that is basically an, an analysis of all the digital opportunities that we see being presented that we care about as an IDN and as well as a payer, 
as well as a large employer. And so we, we do that every year. We had just finished it, you know, for kind of, you know, the year 2000, uh, sorry, 2020, uh, going into COVID and then COVID hit. And we decided for the first time ever to publish a version of those out to the industry. And the reason why is, you know, I told, I told the team, you know, I hate to, you know, our digital strategy team, I hate to do this to you. I know you just finished this exercise, but we got to do it over. And we got to not only, you know, we usually talk to, you know, probably 60, 70 executives um, and other folks, you know, within the health system and outside of the health system. This time we, we talked to about 100. Um, some of them we had just spoken to. And then we decided to publish it out to the industry because we wanted to kind of crowdsource, if you will, like what do we think is going to happen? Um, because honestly, we had strong hypotheses, but we wanted to test it with like, you know, other smart people in the market. So we talked to those smart people and then we kind of synthesized and published it out um, into the market. And we've gotten thousands of people downloading, giving us feedback. And it's, um, it's been a, a, quite an incredible experience and we've learned a lot. So if I had to summarize 14 different white papers <laughs> into kind of a one notional thought, there's a lot in there. I'm way oversimplifying, but it, taking from the integrated delivery system viewpoint, right? So that's important from, our, from that perspective, because that's the, the perspective for, for which we're writing this. There's kind of two things that are going to happen in the market coming up here um, very, very soon, or it's already happening. One is there's going to be a bifurcation. So there is going to be a massively high growth consumer market that is mainly catering to cash pay and kind of call it like, you know, the uh, wide open networks, like so PPOs, right? Where there's going to be a lot of shopping for care. Um, a lot of it is going to have to do with what, what we call provider agnostic services. So, you know, think urgent care, think, you know, video visits, those types of, types of things, right? Um, the major competitor that will become relevant over the next three to five years is not surprisingly Amazon. This is like what they do really, really well. This is effectively e-commerce in healthcare, right? Um, how Kairos plays to that is Kairos is our, um, is our, is our, is our catalog and our checkout for that in that, in that context. Right. So, so basically you can't, and this is one of the things that, you know, Graham and I talked about, you know, seven years ago is like, it's awfully hard to shop if you don't have a catalog and if that catalog information is not accurate. Right. Um, and then you need a way of executing a transaction. So that's, that's, you know, kind of one part. Um, the second part is there is going to be huge pressure for IDNs to get under risk quickly. And it's not gonna come from, you know, partnering with payer provider, national payer provider organizations like Optum and United. Um, they're gonna be competitors in the, these marketplaces. They have no incentive to share risk and to partner, you know, kind of at the first premium dollar uh, level, right? So what does that mean? So health systems are either going to have to expand their existing payer footprint. So we've got a, a bit, you know, a medium-sized health, health plan in, uh, in Oregon. You'll see us kind of doing, doing things with that, but you'll also see us partnering with other kind of regional plans as well in a much more closer way, right? Because it's kind of one of those, you know, <laughs> the enemy of your enemy is your friend kind of thing. Um, because not only are we threatened by Optum United, but like, you know, regional blues plans are, et cetera, right? And so how Kairos fits into that perfectly is, you know, the HealthSpark acquisition that they had just done, right? And so if you kind of think about it, our development of our digital platform has gone through several different phases. Phase one is like, let's just enable digital transactions, right? On the consumer side. Um, so that's, you know, Kairos plus the ability to kind of, you know, shop and buy um, services online, those types of things. And then, you know, and then we're also now starting to build the you know kind of payer provider integration piece of that in partnership with Kairos um, around you know ex example that's relevant to Kairos is why do these payers have such bad information about our providers on their member websites? Well, the reason is is because they're not tapping into Kairos, which is a source of truth, and so they constantly have inaccurate information about the provi our providers on their website. Another question is, 
why can't they transact on the member website, right? What happens today is you either have to freaking call somebody, um, which by the way, millennials don't even know what a phone is for anymore. So they don't know that, that like, like, like if you use a call button, it, it will like a human voice will come up. Um, so they're, they're just mystified by that whole concept. So why can't you check out on the member website, right? So those are two kind of use cases. And then the last thing is, is the area that we've been putting a lot of R&D internally on has been around either on the consumer side or the plan provider side, they're all gonna have to end up in an engagement platform. And so we've also been kind of working a lot on, great, you've had the transaction, you've gotten the, you know, the patient or the member to transact with you. Now you gotta keep them and engage them between episodes of care. It's no longer any good for you just to see them kind of two and a half times a year. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, just the, the evolution of all this, of the technology, you know, obviously using these insights has been really, just really impressive. Um, thank you, Aaron, um, for that. Um, Graham, Kairos is a data-driven company. Do you think the pandemic will force you and potentially, you know, all other companies uh, to evolve the way we look at data or, or, or use data? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, no. And Aaron alluded to this as well, that, that again, we've been fortunate you know, across the country in many places to lay down some of this framework. And so in some ways, COVID was just another term. We have a you know 21,000 term library that, that has atrial fibrillation and AF and AFib and every other you know variation of that. And, and our platform is all about understanding where to route that, what, what site of care, what specific provider to route that. And so uh, in many ways, COVID got added to our library along with you know, a few other um, uh, things. It was actually fascinating to, um, to watch again, those searches. And uh, when CNN was calling it coronavirus, there were a lot of searches for coronavirus. And when they started calling it COVID, we saw a shift in what was being searched online, right? And so again, able to, to understand what consumers were expressing and, and how to map that um, better. And so that, that again, was, was what the platform was, was built for. Um, now, in other ways, this completely accelerated the need to understand both data and, and analytics and, and operations um, as well. Um, and so, you know, obviously mentioning those, those searches, this was one of the things that we made available to all of our customers so that they could understand um, what was going on, not just across the country, but in their regions of the, of the country. That's another place where we were able to, to leverage uh, Aaron as well uh, in, in customer webinars because, you know, Aaron and his organization were the first to see um, this. And so they were able to uh, articulate to other folks uh, strategies they were using, the chat bot that they were using, and, and really help out their peers across the country um, understand how to, how to you know, read the data uh, and, and, and respond uh, to, it, to it better. Um, I think the other place where we're seeing it, you know, today, um, and I think it will extend beyond that as well, is really in the use of the CRM. Um, and so now we're in this, you know, situation where, hey, there may be light at the end of the tunnel. Um, perhaps there's a, a vaccine coming, but we need a strategy for how we're going to distribute that uh, to our society. We we don't have enough to do uh, everyone all at once. And so uh, the ability to understand your population and actually do proactive reach out so that you can bring in different uh, risk groups um, over time and, and um, you know, scalably and, and uh, methodically run through different risks and, and, and get the vaccine distributed, um, uh, you know, as, as it should. That model uh, I can see uh, going in other places, and and you know one of the exciting things now that we're beginning to operate across both the health system and the and the health plan industry, is that there are some real win wins around engaging patients proactively like that. So a health plan cares a lot about closing gaps of care. You're overdue for a colonoscopy. You're overdue for a mammogram. And um, that ability to outreach, you know, today it's about here, it's time for you to come in for your COVID vaccine, you know, in a few months, that might be, hey, it's time to come in for your colonoscopy. That outreach and that ability to schedule, um, you know, in that direct email or text message actually drives volume back into the health system side, right? Colonoscopies, there's a very high margin um, procedures for organizations. And so um, what I'm really excited to see is that, that some of these lessons we've learned around how to utilize the data and, and how to begin to proactively reach out, I think are gonna have, um, uh, you know, really allow us to have much more sophisticated care coordination strategies going forward across all conditions, actually. Yeah, it makes sense. The more you can lean into like better, more accurate data, you know, use the analytics, 
Um, it really does put you in a position to do so much good, you know, just on behalf of, of, of your patients. And it's great to hear. Aaron, you kind of started to hint about this a little bit uh, on, in the last question. You've talked about um, how healthcare innovation companies have the worst competition ladder ever. What, uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, it's kind of what I was alluding to before, which is, you know, um, we get to start off as IDNs kind of battling the national payer provider networks that are forming. So, you know, Optum is, you know, Optum United are, are buying everything in sight, hiring a bunch of uh, uh, providers, and they've got an incredibly disruptive business model, right? Uh, which is they own first premium dollar and they're hiring, you know, primary care and specialty, et cetera, as well as, you know, building ASCs and, and you know, health services, et cetera and these different markets, and they're really kind of shaking up the market. And if IDNs don't get into risk arrangements with regional payers, they're, they're going to be, you know, stuck as kind of price takers, you know, catering to, you know, Optum United, right, as, you know, effectively owning hospitals. And the, the, the challenge with that is, especially for kind of mission-based nonprofits like ours, is, is that, you um, that part of the business is what allows us to serve the entire population because we're cross-subsidized, right? So we make money in commercial, we break even on a great day in Medicare, and then we lose that money that we made in, in Medicaid, right? So it, it basically allows us to kind of serve the rest. Now, you know, a miracle could occur and where, you know, Medicaid rates could go up, but state budgets are being crushed right now. I think we'd be lucky if they didn't go down by 50% right now. So it's probably going to get a lot worse, not better. And so if you if you kind of look at see what IDNs have kind of done to you know perform during COVID, they're incredibly important organizations because last time I checked, you can't intubate and you know uh, take care of a critically ill COVID patient or mass casualty event, et cetera, et cetera in a, you know, ambulatory surgery center, right? Or something like that. So we're going to need these hospitals at some form or fashion. And for them to work, they need the ecosystem around that. And then there's also an argument around continuum of care. So I think, I think the IDN model is worth defending. It certainly needs a ton of reform. And there are probably way too many hospital beds outside of a, a, a pandemic, you know, out there. But if, if, if IDNs don't start to get under risk, and if they don't start building really compelling uh, relationships that are digital in nature between themselves and their either their, their, their captive payers like what we have or with their payer partners like we have really close you know regional payer partners um, they're going to be in trouble because these you know the CVS Aetna's Opti Uniteds are definitely investing in that space and a good kind of you know example is is again I, I talked a little bit about some of the work that Kairos is doing around you know, our data syndication into their um, into their member portals, the ability to kind of purchase or to to uh, to do, um, uh, you know, schedule uh, appointments through their member portal so that you, you're not asking the patient to go here for one thing and there for another. Right. Um, so that's kind of, you know, so we're doing a lot of these kind of, a lot of this thinking. You'll see us uh, make a lot of investments in 2021, but definitely in 2022 around creating a much more kind of cohesive digital experience for the member slash patient, both with our own payer, as well as with other partner uh, partners as well. And then, you know, I'll let Graham talk about what he's doing with that, you know, with respect to the, the health spark acquisition to facilitate this. But I think that is the next kind of wave of what health systems need to do on, on the um, health systems need to do basically two things. <laughs> They need to invest heavily in digital to take on Amazon care and those types of disruptors. And they need to get under risk and also invest in digital integration uh, with their payer partners, right? And then the last thing is, is what you're alluding to is we're in the world's, I, you know, I, I, uh, I, one of my activities is, uh, you know, athletic activities is I box. And there's this notion of a ladder if you're in a boxing tournament and you, it's like any, you know, event, right? And you kind of work your way through the ladder and the competition gets tougher and tougher. So, you know, if we survive as an IDN taking on the national payer provider 
platforms, we get to then take on the undisputed world champion, which is Amazon, who's <laughs> never lost about. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> you know, and they, by the time we, if we get through it in three to five years, their product will be very mature and very compelling. So we have to kind of make the investments as IDNs to, 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 to have a compelling value proposition, which I think we can, which is the continuum of care and the ability to lower costs on a regional basis. Cause I'm not fully convinced that there's a national scale argument around healthcare. Um, you know, there are some pieces of it that are scalable, but you know, really you've got to, uh, you got to optimize things at a pretty local and regional level to get cost out of the system. So anyway, but I'll let Graham talk a little bit more about like how HealthSpark is happening, helping with that. Yeah, that's perfect, perfect uh, transition because you've you've mentioned HealthSpark here a few times, and then and Graham, you also touched a little bit on on funding uh, at the beginning of this podcast. So, uh, um, you know, by my count, Graham, Kyrus has raised more than 155 million dollars since you founded it. Uh, since you founded it back in 2010. And then recently, uh, um, as, as we've mentioned, uh, Kairos acquired HealthSpark, which is a company that partners with health plans to offer quality information to its, its members. So it makes sense. Um, so how have you been moving forward with, with, with all of that in terms of both implementing new funding and uniting with HealthSpark? Well, again, one of, one of the most exciting things about working with with Aaron and the team of Providence is is you have this visibility right into the existential threats that he's you know keeps him up at night, um, and it just gives us this wonderful window into ways that we can help these organizations you know navigate um, uh, through healthcare. Um, so we had been interested in the health plan space uh, for years, actually. Um, in fact, I remember a board presentation in 2017, really kind of laying out the strategy that, that we wanted to embark on. Um, but we're waiting um, uh, to have sufficient market um, uh, density to really be able to offer a compelling program as we began to kind of straddle uh, the, the different industries. But the, the thesis here was 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 clear from our side in that 40% of patients were actually starting their search on a health plan site when they were looking for a provider. And, and look, it totally makes sense. You know, are they in network and are they can be paid for? I mean, these, these are important questions for a consumer. You do not want to get caught out of network with, with, a, with a huge bill. Uh, and yet, to Aaron's you know, point earlier, um, the health plans really struggle with their ability to maintain accurate data and offer any kind of a member experience in terms of, of transacting because they're just they're too far away um, from, from the information. And so what well, uh, we, you know, what we're anticipating was if we could, um, you know, help govern all of this really rich content on the health system side and, and understand, um, you know, who did what, where, when, have all this engaging videos and philosophies of care and condition-based searching, along with that ability to transact and, and understand the availability and, and schedule in, we could syndicate that information from the health system out to their regional health plan. So that first and foremost, the provider information was, was consistent uh, across those. But then, you know, as 40% of patients were searching there for a provider, not only could they see the accurate data, but they actually could book directly from the health plan into the health system. And again, we saw this win-win where for the health system, this was a patient acquisition opportunity. And, and quite frankly, one with a huge first mover advantage, because if you imagine, you know, a, a health plan with a bunch of blue bobbleheads and inaccurate information, if you're the health system with accurate providers with pictures and videos speaking about their philosophies of care, that is engaging to a patient. And then if you offer them the ability right there to, to check out, if you will, and to use Aaron's language and, and book, um, there's a there's a huge advantage um, to having that that presence there. Um, but similarly, there was a wonderful value proposition to the, the health plans as well. Um, you know, today they are getting penalized um, uh, financially for, for not having accurate information. But even more importantly, there's a member experience component to this as well. And to the extent that they're engaged with employers and, and you know, looking to offer the best experience they can to consumers, that ability to have accurate content and the ability to route, um, we thought, was, was essential. So, um, you know, again, we're waiting for the right moment, but, but earlier this year, we, we actually um, started a, a task force to, to begin to, to, um, to engage uh, with that side of the industry. And, you know, one of the places we started, I think quite logically, was with our own health systems that had a health plan. Um, so here you already had a relationship. You had folks like Aaron that could they can really peel back and, and help you understand the issues and, and, and where the challenges might lie. 
Um, and in that process met a company called HealthSpark that, that um, Patrick, to your, to your description earlier, um, in some ways was a mirror of us. They, they uh, maintain a provider directory on the, on the health plan side. One of the, the technologies they had developed in a very sophisticated way was price transparency because the, the cost of things matters a great deal to the, the health plan side of things. Um, and so we began to realize um, very quickly that there was an opportunity to, first of all, reduce the friction because as one company, we could very easily port data and, and understand the two sides uh, of the market. Um, we found in HealthSpark a very mission-driven and, and culturally aligned organization as well. They, they cared deeply about improving health care and, and thinking about the member and, and their um, journey through it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was also exciting was, was just the, the ability to instantly stand up a network, right? And so we were working with dozens of, of different health systems. They were working across 100 different healthcare brands. Um, you know, in many of these markets, you already had incredibly rich density and, and the ability to start doing the syndication and, and generating the, the, the cases and the examples that we could, you know, use and, and, and tell as a story for the rest of the industry. Um, so very, very excited to, to, to do that. I hear this again and again on this on this podcast, this idea of cultural alignment that, you know, potential competitors, but you recognize that you have similar values. You recognize that you potentially uh, have talents around sort of a core business strategic platform and, uh, and you kind of go for it together. I want to kind of bring it back to the pandemic a little bit. Aaron, how should new investors say, you know, people who want to be the next Aaron Martin? How how should they deal with change, like pandemic level shifts in your business environment? Is there is there an investor playbook for for the for that kind of thing? Is there a go to move? <laughs> I you know I I'll tell you um, you know I've kind of you know through the the Kairos board relationship I the person I've learned the most from around, you know, how to be a, 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 a great investor and, um, and a great board member is, is, is Brian Roberts from Venrock. And he and Bob Kocher, uh, who are kind of, you know, kind of partners over there, um, who were in a couple of their deals in addition to Kairos, uh, were also in Lyra. Um, <laughs> the key theme that they will always talk about is find, uh, I think Bob calls it freakishly smart CEOs um, you know, Graham being, you know, a, a, the prototypical example of that. I mean, you heard his resume. I mean, good God, you know, like, I, you know, it, it, I'm from Texas. We would say he's got more degrees than a hot day. Right. And, and so he, you know, so, so you find, you know, just these absurdly great capable CEOs and then you, 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 you take that and you add a massive market opportunity. And it sounds like super simple and obvious, um, but if you look at every single one of the Venrock deals they've done, those two components are there, right? So if you look at you know the massive you know market opportunity in front of, front of Graham and his team, um, you know so they got Graham check, and then they got you know the, the market opportunity check. If you look at Lyra, they got David Ebersman, who's the former CFO of both Facebook and Genentech, right? Um, so also freakishly smart. Um, and then they said mental health is a big space that needs to be disrupted specifically around EAP and it's poorly served. They put those two things together. And the thing that's um, it is about it is, is like, you know, um, I would say that, you know, uh, if you start with those two kind of, you know, chemicals, the rest plays out. Now, the other interesting thing is kind of seeing how both, you know, Bob and Brian work in the boardroom to kind of coach and, and help and that kind of thing. So it's not just a, you just don't just kind of put those two things together and just, you know, the rest of it takes care of itself. They definitely actively manage and, and you know, and, and play a, a, a role in the board, but I, you know, they're, they're the, you know, they're, they're the folks that I learned from and I would just pass that wisdom along, you know um, you know, you, you got to get involved with people who um, another, you know, you know, kind of godfather of, of venture capital is uh, John Doerr, who I've, I've met a whole bunch of different times. Uh, my first meeting with him was when I was presenting to the board at Amazon. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't be able to speak, you know, spot me out of a lineup after that meeting. But um, but uh, but you know, I got to meet him uh, a bunch of times because he's been become very active in healthcare. And the thing he always says is, you know, pick the people you want to get in trouble with. Um, because, you know, how ventures work is 
you're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to hit bumps. You're going to hit, you know, it's very rare that something just, you know, becomes like a Facebook where it's just, well, even Facebook hit a bunch of bumps, right? Where just something just, you know, goes into the atmosphere and you, you know, and it's all, it's all good. Um, and so I think, you know, that's, that's my kind of foundational piece of advice. And then how we think about it, how Providence Ventures thinks about it is, you know, what's our value add is there are great investors out there that can deliver, you know, coaching and guidance around the fundraising process, company formation, coaching management, leadership, board management, you know, how to go public, you know, those types of things. That's not our deal, right? Like there's smarter people in the world like Brian and, and, and Bob who know that. There's also smarter people in the world that, that have the deep domain experience that they do. Um, our role is, I tell my team, you know, at Providence Ventures is your, your job is to show up and delight the CEO with the cool thing you just brought to the table every single board meeting. Meaning, and it could be a new relationship with another, you know, health system. It could be a new insight into like, hey, there's a product opportunity here. It could be hopefully both. It could be a lead on kind of, you know, somebody in the industry who really understands that domain knowledge well. And to accomplish that, what we've done is we, we've kind of, you know, levered off the, the way that the industry is set up in that we don't compete with the vast, vast, vast majority of other health systems. And so what we do is we partner and we, we collaborate with them. And so to give you a statistic, we've met with, I think, over 130 health systems over the past 24 months, even during COVID. And we meet with them for like two to three hour sessions. Pre-COVID, they would come to Seattle. We would trade information. How are you solving this problem? How are we solving this problem? That kind of thing. And what naturally comes out of that is when we're kind of explaining how we're solving the digital problem, you know, clearly they're like, well, tell us what vendor you're using, right? And it's not sales, it's just data. And we just show them the data that we got from Kairos. Like before we had Kairos, we had these kinds of conversions. After we had Kairos, they went up dramatically, right? Those types of things. So so, so then it kind of, you know, spreads adoption, right? Of, of these technologies across the industry. And so that's how we can kind of be helpful from as, you know, as, as board members, we're not, I, I have nothing useful to say to, 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 to the likes of, you know, somebody as brilliant as Graham about leadership or how to run a company or whatever. But I think what we do bring to the table is like different relationships, different insights in terms of how the customer thinks, um, different product opportunities, those types of things. So that's kind of our little niche and venture. Graham, is that how you found it to be? Like it has been working alongside Aaron's team and then just even, you know, with a health system like Providence, you know, especially during a pandemic, has that been beneficial? Has it been helpful? Absolutely. And, and uh, Aaron is being incredibly modest. Just, just rewind <laughs> the podcast so far. I get that every week. I mean, imagine getting that level of insight and coaching and counseling, you know, tailored to our company and, and what's going on uh, in the industry. Um, you know, and also, I, I, I totally agree with, with um, uh, Aaron on, on not just the, the value. I'm incredibly fortunate to have wonderful strategics and, and, and uh, institutional investors on the board, but I think one of the other things that that Aaron does uh, as well, it, it's 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 the communication and and the working with the CEO to help help them really internalize the messages as well. And you know, Aaron is often way out ahead of the industry, and and his ability to kind of translate that for me um, uh, has just, has just been been wonderful. Um, one of the things I I, I uh, uh, will talk to other CEOs who are just beginning the the process of of engaging in venture and investors. That there's there's really two things you have to look at. Um, uh, there's the firm, obviously, and the resources that they might be able to provide. But the reality is you're working with the individual and, and, and will be working with that individual for potentially a decade. And so um, it's very important that, that you think about both um, those factors. Um, now, I, I make a disclosure, Aaron is not on our comp committee, so <laughs> I have no ulterior motive uh, in saying this, but, but you know, Aaron um, not only internally brings that thought leadership around where the industry is going, but he's also an incredible evangelist um, for us. And, and, you know, he alluded to some of that as they engage with, with organizations. And um, he's opened up a number of, of, of doors um, for us where, um, you know, that, that's been a big part of, of how we've grown uh, as well as we have. 
Um, and then I think you have Providence and, and um, Aaron, I don't, I don't know whether it's one of the formal Providence uh, mantras, but I, I hear you say a lot about innovation at scale. And, and I think that that really rings true for me in a couple different ways. First of all, it's scale, literally, you know, tens of thousands of providers. And so if you want to have an impact, if you want to be able to describe that impact to other customers, that's huge. You know, I will tell you from the moment we engaged with Aaron, probably what, 2013, I never again had to answer, you know, worry about the question, can you work with an organization this size? It's like, yep, you know, and, and so that 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 really matters. But I think the other part of innovation at scale for me really flows from, from Rod Hockman and, and Aaron as well, which is there's a cultural um, uh, appreciation for working with innovative companies and the, the good and the bad. And, and I think Aaron has been, again, a great um, mentor and UI for us inside the organization um, um, to, to help them best engage with us, you know, as we're learning and, and developing things uh, as well. I want to I want to kind of jump on this idea uh, or this or this phrase next normal. Aaron, um you know I mean it sounds to me like the next normal is like you know you you do everything right, you improve your product, you improve your system and then you end up in a heavyweight bout with 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 Amazon. So uh, just in terms of the health landscape and and patient behavior in general. Are you predicting kind of, or are you seeing an evolution to sort of a next normal? And, uh, and, and, and will that affect how you work with the, the partners in your portfolio and specifically Kairos? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the way to think about the next normal at some level is um, think what you're as a digital strategist or a VC or you know, a, a, a tech CEO in, in the space um, or a healthcare leader, um, think about how, you know, what you thought was going to happen over a 10 year period, but pre COVID right now apply all those assumptions and assume they're going to happen in 2022, right? Like it is literally kind of moved the entire schedule up and, and, you know, and COVID's had two disruptive effects in kind of my part of the world. One is, you know, the entire organization it, as it should be is incredibly focused on taking care of our patients um, with the biggest issue being COVID right now. And the biggest issue right, right now is, is vaccine distribution, right? Um, in particular, right? So these are massive, massive things, but it is a huge, huge distraction from, you know, kind of the, the linear path that we were on kind of pre-COVID, if you will, right? So it's, it's, it's you know, taking a lot of resources, leadership bandwidth, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the first thing it's doing. The second thing it's doing is um, the pandemic has effectively um, had is effectively funded trial and adoption at scale for consumers across the country. So think about that. Usually, what happens in these things is, you know, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, whoever, you know, startups, venture capital. We all, you know, we all basically pour money into a market to try to get patients or consumers to try whatever service we're offering, right? And, and so we're trying to incent trial and adoption, right? The pandemic basically forced that because it effectively shut down all other options than virtual, right, and digital um, because of PPE concerns and from you know infection concerns and pushed an entire group of people at scale into basically the internet in healthcare, right? And got them to use it. And guess what? They like it. So they are like, this is better than me driving, you know, an hour looking for parking, you know, waiting in a big room and then waiting in a small room and then finally seeing, you know, you know, a cardiologist for 15 minutes, right? Where all that could have been done over, over video, right? Um, so that trial and adoption has been effectively funded by the pandemic or, or pushed by the pandemic. So what does that mean? You would, everybody's like, that's kind of a great outcome for digital, but from a provider, from an incumbent standpoint using digital, that's super bad <laughs> because now all these customers um, that we've got that were kind of offline with us in our, our own little world, right? Are now online and Amazon and Google and, you know, these startups or whatever on the consumer side, they don't have to pay for trial and adoption, right? To get people to say, Can't, hey, come over here, try this online version of what you've been doing offline. It's been done. And so that migration has happened. 
And so now you are kind of, as a health system, if you haven't, you need to make these big investments in digital ASAP. It is existential, right? Um, because, you know, last time I checked, so Bezos always used to say, your margin is my opportunity. I'm pretty sure he was talking about positive margin. So the part of the, his, the business that they're going to go after, whether it be Amazon or, you know, any other disruptor, I'm picking on Amazon, but there's a, a bunch of different models out there is the commercial side of the business. And that's the part of the business that funds, you know, most, you know, incumbents entire mission, right? Because of the cross subsidization. So two things, one is we've kind of been put into pause as we're kind of taking care of this national emergency as health systems, you know, and so it's been kind of, it's advanced the ball in terms of a technology stack arguably, but it's all been kind of focused all COVID over the, all the time. And then it's also pushed all these patients into the internet and they like it. And so now we're, you know, think about it this way. We're on their turf now, <laughs> you know, like they used to have to come over to our yard to kind of, you know, our old offline, horrible offline process, very kind of friction filled basis and say, Hey, grass is greener over here. Come on over. You know, they all got pushed over to the, the greener grass and we're on their turf now. And so we've got to start making investments as an industry if we want to keep that patient population. That's so true. Cause I used to think like really the, the biggest silver lining, you know, around COVID for healthcare is that it fast tracked a bunch of innovation that was on a much slower path. But I hadn't really thought about the idea that, okay, you've coaxed people into the open now through these digital channels. And now, and now they're, they're, they're exposed to so much more competition and the, and, and now you're facing that. And, and that's, and don't get me wrong, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. So taking it from a societal standpoint, that's a good thing. But taking it from you're an IDN standpoint, you better get ready because the fight is happening in now and in 2022. You don't have 10 years, right? You have like, you know, Tuesday, right? If you haven't already been making these investments. Yeah, Graham, thinking in terms of just like giving advice to somebody who wants to be like you, who, who's an entrepreneur and wants to get stuff going. And what would you tell potentially a, a, a younger or, or just earlier version of yourself? Well, I, I, I'll start with a caveat. And, and I, I, think, I think Jonathan Bush was certainly the first person to say this to me, if not the, the one to, to originate this, um, that you know, healthcare is not a multi-trillion dollar industry. It's, it's thousands of billion dollar industries. And I, I think that's Super important to remember when you're giving or getting advice, and and I'll, what I mean by that is that there's there's a lot of chatter from VCs or the press or other um, you know companies around you know, these golden rules and and you know you've got to be this you've got to be that and you know gold, <laughs> health systems are where golden rules go to die. Uh, it's just it's a it's a quirky nuanced industry, um, and um, and I think that's so again I, I think that's important to remember and 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 to, you've always got to be gut checking yourself and quite frankly surrounding yourself with people like Aaron who, who understand the industry and, and, and really get uh, what's going on. Um, so with that caveat, I, the, the, the first um, uh, thing I'd say, and, and again, this, this stems from, from Brian in many ways, is um, solve a big problem. Uh, no one's interested in more data. They, they want you to solve a problem. And quite frankly, the messier uh, and harder the problem is, the bigger impact you can have. And, and I, I, I'll never forget, um, I think it's the very first board meeting Brian showed up to and super excited for him to come because we'd done like $8,000 more of bookings. <laughs> it was like, instead of doing 42,000, we'd done 50,000. I was like, it's really proud to show him our, our you know, revenue. And Brian said, he said, Graham, go solve a big problem and the revenue will take care of itself. Um, now, I will tell you, today we talk a lot more about revenue, but it was just great coaching to, to just have the patience and, and, and have the grit to go tackle something really, really big. Um, so that's, that's something I, I pass on to everyone. Um, but, uh, you know, it comes with, though, requiring the patience. And, and um, one of the other things I was actually talking to Brian about just a week or so ago um, was a quote he, he shared with me very early on um, that it just has taken me years to, to kind of appreciate and, and, and really articulate well. Uh, this idea that, that healthcare has a certain halt speed. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we joke all the time, uh, and I do it myself, you know, we're on panels that, oh, you know, healthcare is 30 years behind every other industry and you don't have to invent anything new. You got to look what everyone else is doing in the 1980s and, and pull it forward. And, um, you know, there, there, there is some truth to that first and foremost. Um, um, and it's not because people are stupid. Um, uh, you know, 
healthcare, the, the, the stakes are really high. Uh, you don't directionally have cancer or not. There's not, you know, you either have cancer or you don't, you're not 68%, you know, have cancer. Um, and so you have to get things right. Um, but, uh, but there are these models and, and, you know, we have long looked to the travel industry, um, as a, as a wonderful model to think about seat utilization, right. And how you route people and, and fill a fixed cost asset in, in their case, an airplane, in our case, a, a provider schedule with the right travelers, right. To get to the right destination. So we, we, we have always kind of adopted um, those models, but there's only, I think, so fast you can bring people up and, and, and it's because, it's not just the industry that's 30 years behind. The entire ecosystem is 30 years behind. The cottage consulting industry, the tech, the, the, the you know, familiarity with SaaS and the concept of ROI. And so, um, you know, I think, again, a, a lot of the, the, the coaching I give is to, to, to try to, to feel the cadence of the industry and, and move with them. Um, and, and to be frank, uh, I, 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 always bristle at the word disrupting um, healthcare. I, I think it comes from this frustration, right? That, that so many folks come in with incredible goals and, 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 and interest in improving healthcare and are used to a different speed and they come into health systems and it's very frustrating. And I, I, I have lived it. Um, but, but if you can begin to acclimate to the, the pace at which change can be driven through, I, I think it, it, you're not actually disrupting, you're, you're optimizing, you're transforming, you're molding it, um, you know, at the pace that, that it can do. Um, I, I share Aaron's optimism that, that the COVID, uh, you know, pandemic has actually accelerated that, uh, and, and their willingness to go faster. So I'm, I'm actually very much looking forward to that, but I, I do, um, I do coach entrepreneurs to, to be ready for a, a long journey. Um, uh, but one that, 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 uh, I will tell you every day you go home feeling very good about what you do, um, in your life. It's great advice. And, and it's a theme too, that that's come up a lot on this podcast, you know, innovators that they come from outside um, the healthcare industry, they come from tech, they come from other innovation spaces. And then, and then they, and they think they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to solve it right out of the gate. And, uh, and they do, they get frustrated. And it just does seem like the people who can stick around, they can kind of figure out the maze can be really, really successful. And I do, I always love hearing that too, because you're right, you're, we're, you're helping people, you know, what's, what's better than that? One thing to, to add to that, that, that thought that Graham is, you know, was, was talking about is if you, if you think about it, how other industries consume technology, they're set up to do it, right? Um, you know, health systems, um, you know, in particular, and, and this is probably true for payers as well, health systems are, are basically, you know, when I started, you know, seven years ago, um, Providence was kind of a federation, right? Like we had like, you know, kind of a thin layer of kind of, you know, shared services. And then, you know, each of the different regions were pretty autonomous, right? And I think if you looked at, you know, any other kind of, you know, nonprofit, they were kind of set up that way because they grew through either mergers and acquisitions or whatever. And unlike, you know, other industries, there wasn't kind of hardcore standardization and, and process kind of applied. That's changed dramatically. So if you look at us now, we're much more of a, we're much more of an integrated health system, um, you know, as per the, the term than kind of, you know, a loose federation, right? And uh, one of the jokes I always tell is like, we're kind of the EU, we're, you know, we're an ever closer union, but we started off with like, there was Germany, there was France, there was a Greece, there was like, you know, who's trying to get out or, or struggling, or you know, you know, somebody's trying to Brexit, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's now becoming much more of a of a, of a unified system, and I think you see, you're seeing that with other health systems as well. But you know, like a, a good example of this is um, the Zelf team, um, which was our first incubated uh, startup. Um, they came from mobile, right? And you know, it was kind of a shocking thing for them because when when they were selling into these mobile carriers, those mobile carriers are built, purpose-built to consume new technology. Because if they don't, they don't keep up with consumers and they die. Like it's that simple, right? And then so like their sales process when they were selling digital keyboards effectively into, you know, as a new, you know, feature on, on Samsung devices or um, on, 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 on Google devices, uh, you know, was consumed like that. 
And there was like, you know, probably 10 carriers, you know, in the United States and I don't know, 30 worldwide that they had to go sell to. But they're all set up to make an evaluation, consume the technology, integrate it and move on. Um, it's They're kind of technology organizations, right? That's another extreme example of what healthcare isn't. Healthcare really started, especially on the IDN side, started consuming technology with EMRs. And that was a massive government subsidized, you know, process, right? Where, you know, the government effectively paid health systems to adopt EMRs, right? And in a lot of cases, a lot of health systems, they kind of stopped there, right? And so we don't have as good of a kind of, you know, evaluation, onboarding, integration, rinse, lather, repeat process as other industries do yet. But it is changing. It's moving in the right direction. But it's got to it's got to change a lot faster than this at the rate at which we're we're going today. I'll just tell you that. Really, really fantastic. Really valuable conversation. Um, loved having you guys on. Can't thank you enough for coming today, Aaron Martin and Graham Gardner. Excellent. Thanks, Pat. Thank you, Pat. That's the conclusion of this episode of Funding the Future of Healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, or if you just want to tell us about your own experience with the COVID-19 pandemic, please do so. Check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks as always for listening. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you, guys. That was, uh, that was fun. Yeah, just tell me you recorded all that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> all right, take two. That was the practice time. <laughs> yeah, that's funny.